Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is Dr. Tila Consagra. Please welcome her to the show. It's so nice to meet you. It's nice to finally meet you as well. I have to say it's a real honor for me to feature on your show because you really got me through lockdown and um, got me to just motivated to continue on the plant-based journey. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'm just so, I'm so honored that doctors actually watch my show, but you know, most of the guests really are doctors. So uh, that that's very, that's very inspiring to hear that. I didn't realize you were part of the UK health professionals and we dedicated an entire week to them once on Chef AJ Live, uh, headed by Dr. Shereem Kassan. I think uh, at the time I was kind of like avidly listening to everybody before getting the confidence to actually come and do my own thing so um yeah I've, I've learned a lot from your show and seeing all the guests on there so yes it's a real privilege um do you have do you have a, a, a we had changed the format of the show last year from having a distinctly different guest every day to having people with their own show like dr mcdougall and dr lyle do you have a favorite re recurring guest um probably dr um both of them, actually, Dr. McDougall, Dr. Lyle as well. I think Dr. Lyle's um, recordings are quite interesting because it goes into psychology as well, which I'm quite interested in and, and kind of has a kind of overlap with what I do. Yeah. Well, what, what do you do? Because I know you're a plant-based doctor because you're part of UK, uh, the, the plant doctor organization. But what is it you do and where do you do it? Because we notice you have a slight accent. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm based in the UK. Um, I am a general practitioner. I've been a doctor for about just over 15 years and a um, general practitioner for about 10 years. I've got experience in lots of specialties as well. So I've worked in the community in elderly care. Um, and before I actually found lifestyle medicine, I have to say I got quite jaded uh, with the way medicine was. It felt like no one could get better. There wasn't much focus on lifestyle. It was just about firefighting and managing symptoms. Um, and then um, I I worked in lots of uh, surgery, so lots of uh, family practices, and then uh, came across by chance a job in um, specializing in chronic fatigue syndrome um, and fibromyalgia. And um, since then, I'm really enjoying it because it has a very lifestyle medicine approach. Um, not entirely, there's a long way to go in terms of what the evidence is and, and what treatments are offered. But um, it, it's a really fulfilling job because I get a long time with patients, get to listen to their stories and how resilient they are and what they've gone through so yes that's what I do at the moment so I, I work both as a general practitioner and as a um, specialist in chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. That's interesting and I want to hear a lot more about both those diseases but first I want to know where did you first hear about lifestyle medicine? Um, It was kind of like it just suddenly came down uh, I suddenly like went down the ro rabbit hole really um, so I'm Indian um, originally Indian my, um, and my parents are Hindu and in the home like most Hindu families um, there's a concept of ahimsa 
Um, my mum's uh, always been vegetarian. She's now vegan, but um, she never cooked meat in the house. Um, and it was mainly the men and the um, young children that ate meat outside of the house. So I only really ate the very ultra processed, you know, Burger King and McDonald's outside. Um, but mainly it was our cultural foods at home. Um, so I always had that concept of ahimsa. My grandmother would make me feel guilty about coming into her room having eaten meat um, because she had lots of gods lined up in her room. Yeah. And then when I was at school, I just bought a book uh, by Linda McCartney on vegetarianism and it had lots of recipes on there. And I decided to become vegetarian. Um, and I kept that up until I started university. Um, and then the choices back then weren't great. Um, so then I started eating meat again, not realizing that this had triggered uh, quite severe acne. And I was on quite a strong medication called Rakutane then. Um, but then I continued this omnivorous diet and I had two children and after having my second child I think I was at my unhealthiest um I uh had gained quite a lot of weight I had some uh, mental health issues as well as you know IBS migraines uh recurrent UTIs and things like that lots of grumbly symptoms but I always thought about maybe returning to vegetarianism um that was always in my head and my sister-in-law is vegan and she made a comment about uh, a cow in India. I'd always thought, you know, I'd, my husband would always say meat eaters sit on this side when we're at a restaurant and, you know, vegetarians on this side. And I'm thinking, I'd like to have the vegetarian food. So I don't think I really ever enjoyed meat as such, to be honest with you. Um, and then yeah, she she mentioned that about a cow. Then there were lots of documentaries coming on about the environment, not really about health. But then um, on my phone, I think this was about six years ago, I got an advert for um, I saw an advert for uh, Cancer Research UK. Uh, they were running this initiative called Veg Pledge, which is similar to Veganuary. And I thought, well, if Cancer Research are promoting a vegan diet then there must be something in this. I had no idea how I was doing it, but I just challenged myself that, you know, don't use um, plant-based meat alternatives. You know, it'd be cheaper and more challenging to see what I could do with food. I really enjoyed cooking. So then I kind of stumbled on plant-based eating and um, I had lost a bit of weight um, on a keto diet and then a conventional calorie counting diet, but I was pretty miserable. I had really tiny portions, always low energy, um, and always worried when I used to go out with other people. Um, and then I was just surprised that actually, when I went plant-based, I didn't have to think about it so much anymore. And um, my acne cleared up um, and all of my symptoms actually got better. I felt a lot better. So, yeah, that's a very long-winded journey into it. But, um, yeah, that's how it is with me. And it kind of helps with my patients uh, and clients realizing that, actually, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, it doesn't have to be a linear journey. But get started and, and do something about it, really. You know, I love that you mentioned ahisma because so ahimsa, excuse me, because uh, that's missing in most people's diet. <laughs> yeah. I want to say what that is, just in case our audience hasn't heard that. It's like compassion and kindness, isn't it? 
is compassion and kindness to all beings, um, including yourself as well. Um, and I would say it kind of like it, it has mirrors the Hippocratic Oath as well, isn't it? Do no harm. So literally just um, in my lifestyle as well as within my oath as a doctor. No, it sounds really corny and cheesy, but um, it, it just marries so well, really. Yeah, absolutely. How many years ago did you adopt a fully plant-based lifestyle? Uh, it was just close to six years. And my daughter uh, just turned three. I'd done it before then. And then we'd gone on holiday. Um, and that's when I'd started it. Yeah. But I think the in terms of the health aspects, um, just before lockdown, I think I started eating a few more vegan junk foods and uh, did gain a bit of weight, but it was nowhere near where I was before I started the journey. Um, and it was pretty easy after, you know, um, I just came across a video of uh, Jane Esselstyn cooking onions without oil. And at that point, I was kind of like, ready to give up because I've just believed in those myths like can I sustain a plant-based diet is this actually really good for me it's much easier you know eliminating carbohydrates and staying slim uh, than being on a plant-based diet but then that video came on and then I was like actually you know what I'm gonna do this and the first time I cooked without oil I was just like oh my god this this tastes so dry but it's true that your taste buds adapt it's just like you know when you're having a cup of tea uh, without sugar the first time it doesn't taste great but afterwards you have sugar again and it tastes too sweet so that's how I feel now if a food has you know a lot of oil in it um, yeah. so yeah that's how it started and then all the videos came up and then I you know started reading found plant-based health professionals UK all of that kind of stuff so I don't think it's easy to eliminate carbohydrates, though. I think that's the most difficult thing in the world. Um, it is. But I mean, if you tell someone they can eat as much bacon as they want, it does sound a lot sexier, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they like that in this place, I guess you're right. You're for sure. Do your kids eat this way? Um, so everybody is vegan at home. Um, my husband has an odd bit of dairy when he's out, um, but actually we share food. So he's kind of compelled to eat the way I do anyway. Um, my son, we've realized that when he has the odd bit of dairy when he's at school or outside, gets GERD. So actually we've changed him to a fully plant-based diet. It's quite a difficult one because my husband's not completely vegan. Um, and I feel he thinks that he doesn't want to force them, but wants to ignite that curiosity, which they do. They read books about it and say, mommy, I, I do want to go vegan. Like today I made a mac and cheese without, you know, it was fully plant-based and they loved it. But I think it's more kind of societal norms and he just doesn't want them to rebel against us. Um, it, it's a difficult one because I rebelled against my parents. I know I went back to eating meat at university, but um yeah, they're pretty much, yeah, um, most of the time at home, it's uh, whole food plant-based. Right. Do you, in England, do they have this concept of animal sanctuaries like we do in the United States? There is. Um, I think there's an animal sanctuary. It's quite far away from us. Um, it's based in the Midlands, but that's always a name for me to go. And there's also a football team that's fully um, 
they're not the players aren't fully plant-based but the actual um in the stadium they only um serve plant-based food so I'd love to take my kids there as well so just to reinforce the message and you know we're hanging out with more families with uh, vegan children so hopefully that's that's yeah I mean because I'm not a parent so I can't talk about the difficulty or the ease of having a plant-based child but I've heard from other parents that sometimes taking them to a sanctuary to in other words meet their meat has helped them understand and made them maybe not want to eat it yeah, my daughter has all these books and she was telling me, mom, do you know how chickens are treated? And and she was like, I'm going to tell my friend. And I was just, just like, be a little bit careful. But I do, yeah, it's good that you share the information. But my son's just like, he's all about health. So he's like, mommy, I'll eat anything that you give me. So he's like, I'd rather have soya milk than oat milk because I know it has more protein. So just sparking that curiosity and going it from it from abundance as opposed to this is what you're cutting out, basically. So... And, and how old are your kids now? Um, my eldest, the, my daughter, she's uh, nine. She'll be turning 10 in October. And my son is six. He'll be turning seven soon. Nice. Well, you know, I, I love the idea of just the plant-based at home. And, you know, you don't control them when they're not in the house. Well, I had arguments with my daughter when uh, I cut out meat out of her diet as in said she could no longer have her at school and that changed now she doesn't you know question it or guess it I mean she does once or twice just mention why my friend's eating this but um you know it's just a matter of time and really and reinforcing it I think yeah and especially if she has other people like her you're saying there are there seem to be other vegan and plant-based children that she knows yeah so I hope to take her to more like uh veg med uh conferences and things like that um, where they have, you know, children's areas. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. That's great. So uh, do you have any examples of some of your patients that were helped by some of the principles that you now teach with lifestyle medicine? Yeah, I think we all tend to remember our first patients because, you know, to believe in this lifestyle, you know, you've got to believe the power it has in transforming patients. So the first patient I had, um, I was working at a practice and uh, I was going through results and somebody had called in wanting to discuss his results, but he had just got an automated text message saying, let's just repeat your blood test. And actually I looked at the blood test and his sugar levels were raised. So his HbA1c, which is a marker of his blood sugar levels over the last three months. And I was like, this is at diabetic level. So I invited him in to have a chat and basically just went through the whole management you know we need to get you into eye screening all of that stuff and he actually asked me doctor isn't there something I can do in terms of my lifestyle and at that point I was plant-based but I didn't have the confidence to actually discuss it in the clinic room because I was worried about what the other doctors would think and all of that but he actually asked me that so then I went through um I gave him some resources so we only have 10 minutes so I could only give him resources really and talk about the evidence behind it and he came back to see me I followed him up a couple of times and he lost three kilograms um quite quickly um he obviously had a lot of weight to lose but his um blood sugar markers had gone down um and his mom was a nurse, so he, he said that she really believes in the power of lifestyle. And he goes, why doesn't anybody discuss this with us? And he goes, if I can change, because he ate a lot of dairy, it was very kind of like 
grown up like that um, in terms of um, his mom lived through scarcity of food. Uh, um, so she said, you know, I want my kids to have everything. So, you know, he was having cream and butter in most things. So he said, if I can change, you know, anybody can. So that that was a really positive turning point for me. Um, and then just a recent example with chronic fatigue syndrome. So I have a patient with long COVID syndrome who I saw recently. And right now, the rhetoric for chronic fatigue syndrome is it's a condition that doesn't tend to get better or, or alleviated fully. And you've got to live with the symptoms. But actually, you know, she changed from being quite upset, thinking that there's not much to do about it, being very frustrated with herself, not being able to do activities like cleaning the house. You know, within two months, you know, she changed her lifestyle in terms of cutting out ultra processed foods, taking on a more positive mindset with things. And, you know, just miles different, you know, she's not fully better, but you can see the difference from that last consultation. So it just shows the power of these simple changes and how quickly um, they can change things around. Well, that must be very rewarding when you see patients start to get better. Yes, it really is. It really is. And yeah, it's changed my perspective on medicine because I I think I was ready to give up, to be honest with you. Do you see patients in a clinic setting virtually? What what kind of practice do you have? So I see patients face-to-face -face, um, in our initial cons consultation because it's really important. Because uh, chronic fatigue syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion, we have to make sure that there's nothing else going on medically. It's important that I examine the patient. And often, you know, the rapport is much better face-to-face. -face. So I prefer to see a patient face-to-face -face, uh, in our first meeting, but obviously, you know, tiredness and, and pain, uh, we often follow up virtually or on the phone. That's great. So what exactly is chronic fatigue syndrome and how does lifestyle medicine help patients that have this condition? So chronic fatigue syndrome or ME is a condition which causes there's lots of symptoms associated with it. We know it's a condition that affects many systems. So there's lots of symptoms, but there are three cardinal symptoms that you have to have. So one of them is post-exertional malaise. That means that every time you exert yourself physically, you get uh, fatigued, which is out of kilter of the activity. So it could be something as simple as loading the dishwasher or walking from one room to another room or going to work, for example. And, you know, the tiredness can be delayed. So you might not feel it straight away, but it might be for two days afterwards. And, and patients normally say that they have to pay for it. So if they plan to meet some friends maybe over the weekend, that's it. You know, they're out for the weekend, can't go to work or something like that. There are different severities. And then you get brain fog. So issues with um, memory and of concentration, um, as well as unrefreshing sleep. So it doesn't matter how long you sleep for, that sleep is not refreshed. Um, so it's a very, very um, life-altering condition. It's, it's a syndrome. So we don't, we know that people share these features, but we don't know quite what the cause is. Um, it's thought to be from a viral infection that triggers the um, symptoms, but it, 
we know that there's actually a build-up to it often there's a similarity between people that you know they they've had some sort of trauma that triggers it but they've had you know some quite high-paced life um people pleasing that kind of um personality I'm not saying that everybody's the same but there's some sort of trauma that triggers it but there's some ongoing you know inflammation and and uh factors that lead up to it so you called it me I've never heard it called that so it was initially called me and I apologize if I pronounce it properly because it's a big mouthful uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis so it's thought to be you know brain inflammation from from an infection but actually we haven't proven that um but some patients like to use that term because, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome to some people seems to simplify the condition because actually it's not tied all the time. It's a fatigue like no other, you know, um, and often patients get dismissed um, because it's invisible. So they're often told, you know, get over it and, you know, just you, you need to just push yourself. And actually, that's the worst thing that you can do. So um, it's quite difficult to find a term that exactly describes um, this condition. But and also chronic, you know, that's been uh, that's been contested as, as well, because, you know, if you say something is chronic, do you think it could get better? So um there's lots of conditions where maybe the terms don't quite describe uh, the effects of the condition. So they think it's from a virus, any particular virus. And is this a, a disease that affects men and women uh, equally, a certain age group? It tends to um, it tends to affect women more than men. Um, it tends to affect women sort of between the, their 20s and 40s. Um, obviously, now we've had the COVID pandemic. And long COVID displays uh, similar features to uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, and there's overlap. So um, that has kind of changed things around in terms of the age group that gets affected. So you do get older patients with uh, symptoms of chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, it's just important that any medical symptoms are under control and don't otherwise explain uh, the condition. For example, you know, if you're on lots of sedating medication, um, if you're, you know, if you've got chest pain or shortness of breath or something like that. And some, you know, patients with long COVID can have, you know, a lot of medical symptoms, which might not be best placed in a, a chronic fatigue syndrome service to be treated. Um, but a lot of um, services for long COVID are now shutting down, because obviously the, the, biggest pandemic um, is over um, so we tend to you know tend to not be so strict about whether this is long COVID or chronic fatigue syndrome because it tends to have the same features and actually you know COVID is a virus right and if you're displaying the same symptoms. Are there any barriers that patients with chronic fatigue syndrome face when trying to adopt a healthier lifestyle? Yes. So, I mean, I think it is quite easy for me to say because I am in a position of privilege. I'm well at the moment. Um, but I can only, you know, vouch from my own experience with with talking to patients and following them up and, 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 and encouraging them is that there's often this feeling of being stuck. 
um, they see lots of clinicians who say that, you know, you don't want this condition because there's not much you can do about it. You know, you'd rather want, you know, something that you can treat like, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or something, even though that, you know, very can be very scary conditions. Um, so if they've come from this, given this negative mindset, I think there is a big sort of role in terms of acceptance many patients may not accept the condition and be looking for other things that may explain it so that there is a treatment. But what I like to say is that actually, you know, lifestyle measures help with any condition. So rather than wait for us to find something and then do something about it, is that you can, or there's not a, you either do lifestyle or you either um, follow the medical route you can do both at the same time and there's also often a fear of is this going to work so I'd rather not start anything just in case it doesn't work and I understand that because often patients have lived years of you know trying to see clinicians and be believed and referred somewhere um, or you know they live for many years with the condition and you know this is something else to try, but if it doesn't work, then I'm left with nothing. Um, so it, it's quite it's quite a difficult mindset, but there are groups out there that are trying to move the needle further in terms of, you know, changing what people think recovery is and how how we can move forward, basically. Did you ever have this condition yourself? No, I, I don't think I did, to be honest with you, but... I have to say, um, it does affect all ethnicities equally. That's what it says in terms of our guidelines. But this is not something I'm seeing in practice. And maybe it's the education around the condition. There might be stigmas in certain communities. Um, but even as doctors, not many doctors actually know about this condition um, and how to actually support patients, um, you know, and, so it's quite difficult to know, actually, there might be lots of people with a condition that never get help. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't have chronic fatigue syndrome, but I had OCD, anxiety and depression. Is chronic fatigue a kind of a diagnosis of exclusion? It is. Yeah, it is. So there's no like there's no test for it, in other words. So it might take a while for somebody to even get a diagnosis. Yes, yes. Um, and all, there's always a worry that something is missed. But obviously, our, our health is not static. You can go on and develop other conditions. But I think, you know, our manager in the London clinic that I work in is very pragmatic and says, actually, it's arbitrary, isn't it? Because actually, we're offering self-management. You know, we're offering things like CBT, psychotherapy, mindfulness, and all of these practices that can help anything. So the biggest factor is um, the biggest factor is acceptance and and wanting wanting these strategies to help. So that's the biggest factor. Is chronic fatigue syndrome at all related to fibromyalgia? Are they similar conditions? Yes, there is an overlap. Um, we tend not to give both diagnoses at the same time. So we tend to say, you know, someone may have predominantly fatigue symptoms 
that are affecting them more so um, with features of fibromyalgia or the other way around. So fibromyalgia is a condition which um, causes um, pain, but it's not secondary to another condition. So it's not because of uh, an inflammatory condition. Um, no one knows why that occurs either, but it's you know, both conditions were kind of stigmatized as, as psychological disorders before, but actually we know that there's complex mechanisms involved, you know, there's lots of things going wrong with the Im immune system that are leading up to it, and people with fibromyalgia are more sensitive to pain, um, and you get pain that flits around the body, but it affects most of the body um, different areas of the body most of the time, so it can affect the upper body, the lower body, and the back. Um, and, and there is overlap. There's overlap with um, symptoms of brain fog, for, for example, um, anxiety, depression. Uh, you can have postural symptoms as well, feeling faint, uh, dizzy or having palpitations when you get up. So, yeah, um, there is a lot of overlap. What kind of doctor in general would a person see for this? Because a lot of these symptoms, I could imagine if you go to urgent care or the emergency room, once they check out like your heart and things, they might dismiss you and just say, you know, anxiety or something, you know? Yeah. So that, that's where, you know, it's been very frustrating for patients with chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, you know, there isn't the same provisions everywhere. I can only speak of the UK. Um, not every borough, not every area in the UK has a designated chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia clinic. There are sometimes pain clinics some pain clinics do offer, you know, holistic therapies, but others may just focus on a medical approach with pain. So there's no, you know, it, it's not integrated really. Um, and, you know, we don't even know what specialty this sits in because um, some areas or before um, people used to be treated by infectious disease doctors, um, rheumatologist so it's, it can really vary um, but I am lucky enough to be working in designated services for these conditions. So it doesn't sound like there's a lot of resources available to this uh, disease if, especially if there's not even really a doctor that treats it like would you go to a pain management doctor maybe or immunologist or? Yeah that's the thing and many many of my patients have actually you know, there's a lot of unregulated unre stuff out there. They'd be seeing, you know, lots of holistic doctors that give B high dose B12 injections and nothing else, or you know, lots of lots of therapies that with dubious like um, effects, really. Um, and I understand the need to find something to get better, but it's it's a very difficult situation out there and, and many people have tried, you know, lots of therapies, lots of vitamins, um, lots of minerals, but they're still in this condition because it doesn't, the therapies available out there don't tend to take a holistic approach. Yeah. What is the SALUS? I hope I pronounced it right. S-A-L-U-S Fatigue Foundation. So that's a UK-based charity um, and it's run by somebody called Linda Jones, who 
did a TED talk actually about her experience with getting better from chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, they're based in uh, the Midlands, um, but their charity and their resources are um, available to everyone really. Um, and, you know, they have lots of advice about nutrition, about pacing, um, breathing exercises, lots of useful resources. And I think they've got a new sort of, um, they've got lots of workshops uh, starting in the end of February. So they're a really, really good resource. And this is a, this is a UK charity only? Um, no, I think they are available to anybody worldwide, I think. Um, can't quote me on that, but I think anyone can access their website. I mean, because it might be a place for people to go if they feel they have this condition and they're not yeah. getting help from their, their doctor. Maybe they have some resources. We could put that in the show notes if you want to give me yeah. that, 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 that would be great. It seems that there's some of the people I know that have had long haul COVID, some of the symptoms seem to overlap with a, a chronic fatigue syndrome. They do, they do. And there can be physical symptoms. So there can be, you know, palpitations and shortness of breath. And that requires, you know, some chest physiotherapy. So you may not be able to get uh, patients fully better just following a pathway for chronic fatigue syndrome. But there is a lot of overlap and not everybody has, you know, physical symptoms. It may mainly be brain fog. Um, so there is a lot of overlap. And actually, as I mentioned, there's not much research in chronic fatigue syndrome. It was kind of stigmatized and thought, you know, it's all in your head and, you know, not a sexy condition to to research. So, you know, if you do a Google search on the condition, um, there is, you know, research on um, the mental health strategies, on exercise, but there isn't a holistic approach with diet. So there's no proven diet for chronic fatigue syndrome and there's lots of focus on trying to find a test or trying to find some antiviral medication that will help um, you know trying magnesium trying b12 other vitamins and the evidence is very mixed it doesn't really show that those things the medical side of things really help um, so I really hope that somebody will take on the task of doing a study, especially on whole food plant-based diets, because, you know, I don't think that on in isolation is the answer to everything, but it does help. You know, we do, do know that whole food plant-based diets help with so many conditions and, you know, aiding because of the uh, fiber, because of the phytonutrients that fight inflammation, um, as well as the effect on the microbiome. Um, so I can't see why it wouldn't help, but no one has taken the approach of using that alongside all the other lifestyle factors to help improve the symptoms, unfortunately. And actually, if you read books about chronic fatigue syndrome, <laughs> people kind of label kind of keto diets alongside uh, plant-based diets because they think of them as extreme diets. But the difference is, as we know, is that you can have a right balance of all three macronutrients and micronutrients through a whole food plant-based diet, whereas keto diets are eliminating a whole macronutrient. So I'm really, really passionate about educating about that, that they're not the same thing. Um, 
but having said that you know I do have some vegan patients who you know are still not fully better so it's all the all the parameters of lifestyle medicine that matter you know sleep matters exercise matters mental well-being matters all of those things matter so you're saying you have some vegan or whole food plant-based patients that aren't fully better but i'm assuming that like if they went back to a standard american diet they would not get better doing that either so what advice would you give somebody that has chronic fatigue but that is wanting to start a whole food plant-based diet so I would say be patient because often my patients feel that, you know, if they, they try something in isolation, so they might just try the plant-based diet, but not the other things or try, you know, CBT, but not the other things and feel that, you know, I've tried it for three weeks and it's not worked. Our body works as a whole, right? So, you know, it might seem like it's not, it's common sense stuff that, someone's being advised that how is that going to help but believe me it helps right our arm doesn't float in midair it's connected to our torso so it, it's the same for every aspect of our health it will happen insidiously um, and I would say to be flexible because you know we're not aiming for what you were before obviously it might it may be nice to run the marathon again but it wasn't working for you right some this has been the catalyst for you to get on well. So it's reevaluating what healthy means to you, but also starting simple. So in terms of the plant-based diet, you know, go with what you can start with. Start with one meal. It might be breakfast instead of just having toast with butter. Have, you know, porridge with seeds and fruit, for example, and then work on the next meal. Um, it doesn't have to be a really difficult meal that you have to put together it doesn't have to be michelin star you know sometimes i just get a box salad and i literally put a flavored balsamic vinegar on it and bake a potato in the microwave with some baked beans it can be as simple as that um, and we tend to just cycle the same meals over and over again to be honest with you so it's about you know it's like having a capsule wardrobe so think about the fact that you know you might have three go-to sauces that you make and you can freeze them and you can put whatever you like in there you know, when you defrost it, um, that kind of thing. And if you've got a family that's not completely whole food plant based, you can try and make things that adapt. Um, so, you know, making a taco bar so you can stick to the whole food plant based things and other members can add whatever they like. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. It's not selfish to have self-care because think about it, you know, like a bank account you're investing for the future. We often just put money into an ISO or savings account and we don't worry about it, but why don't we do that for our health? So, you know, it will play dividends in the future. So that's what I would say. And, and also, you know, there's no Cinderella moment. So often people get deflated because, you know, social media shows you these amazing transformation stories. But the truth is that every day is a work in progress, right? And we all have emotional upsets, you know, there will be a time that, you know, you might fall off the wagon because, I don't know, your dog's died or, you know, you've had a nasty experience at work, but you can always get up there. And I think one of your guests used the analogy of a staircase. So it's quite nice to think of that staircase and thinking you've only come one step down, you know, it's just a few more steps up to where you were before. So think about it that way, taking a stepwise approach, 
keeping things simple and being kind to yourself are really, really important. Absolutely. What are the current standard treatments for things like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia right now? Like, are there certain modalities or medications that are commonly used? So they use self-management strategies. Obviously, I can only speak of where I work. Um, I work in two areas where there's an emphasis on psychological strategies. Um, so things like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, psychotherapy, um, and then mindfulness, for example, uh, meditation, and also physiotherapy. Um, there was something that has been researched quite a lot called graded exercise therapy, but it's been taken out of our guidelines because for it tends to work for people with less severe symptoms um, and actually can make the symptoms worse because, you know, you patients tend to overexert themselves and actually then lead to a crash. So it's more kind of like getting them to baseline and, and an activity um, level that's um, achievable for them. So it's very individualized. Um, pacing is a big thing in terms of treatment of chronic fatigue syndrome. So, you know, pacing activities and activity management so you don't have these big sort of uh, boom and bus mo movements and your energy levels can be a bit more steady. Have you seen any patients recover from either of these conditions? Um, it is quite difficult for me to say to be honest because like I said before um, there is an emphasis on nutrition or bringing that into the holistic approach um, I do have a dietitian colleague that works with me in one of my uh, places of work but it's more about you know batch cooking and making the meals more nutritious rather than using it as a strategy to get better um, I do have some patients that have got better I can't say that they have fully recovered but I think it's early days yet unfortunately you know the system is not created in this way um, doctors tend to sort of diagnose and help with the medical management um, but the therapeutic strategies currently are based on the lack of evidence on living with the condition unfortunately because there's a lot of research on finding that blood test on using these medical therapies but not so much on taking a holistic approach I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, you, you just mentioned batch cooking. Do you do any kind of batch cooking yourself to make your life easier? I do. Um, so I tend to stick to two days where I batch cook. So I do it on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. And I tend to make things in my Instapot. So I make, you know, dals usually. And I, I find Indian food quite easy because obviously I'm an Indian origin. But I use a lot of frozen ingredients. So that's another thing. I use, you know, frozen onions, garlic, ginger, and it can make your life a lot easier. And, you know, spinach and all of those things. So I can get a dal made in under eight minutes, for example. Amazing. Well, I love how you said that not every meal has to be a five-star Michelin meal and you can microwave a potato. I find that for at least the people I've known, there might be exceptions that have been successful long-term that we tend to eat pretty simply, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think when I first went whole food plant-based, I think I was a bit like, I must try and make these, you know, amazing like koftas and do this and that. And then you soon get tired um, and my 
husband will just say to me, look, can't you just make a dal today? So that's what I do. And actually, if you get bored of it, you can spice it differently. You know, I'll turn a bean curry into tacos, maybe if I get bored of it or stuff it into an enchilada, for example. So, yeah, th those are all strategies that can help. Yeah, uh, we have some lovely neighbors that are South Indian and they had us over for dinner and they made something. It was delicious, but like each one had to be made individually right there. I think maybe it was in Italy. I'm not sure. And it's like we yeah. couldn't even eat together, you know, because they. Yeah. it's like, it's like it was, was wonderful. But it was like, oh, come on, sit down. We got to dinner together. You know, I, I love uh, I think that uh, simplicity is key. I mean, if I didn't have a daily show, I'd wear the same thing every day, you know, just because it's it's just it's just easier. So you lost your father at a very young age. Do you think if he had known some of these principles of lifestyle medicine, he might have had a different outcome? I think so, because he used to go through the whole, you know, yo-yo uh, dieting in terms of like, he'd have times where he'd just be like, you know, he's wearing these cycling gear at five o'clock in the morning and then eating boiled vegetables. And my mom will be like, that's dad's dinner. Um, I do think, that in hindsight, you know, I wish I knew this earlier so I could have helped him. And I didn't realize the role of lifestyle in terms of, you know, and actually, you know, heart disease was related. I know it sounds silly now, but it, it doesn't have to occur. And unfortunately, yeah, he d died at quite a young age. And then a year later, my grandfather died of rectal cancer as well, which could have been avoidable because he was a smoker as well. So, um yeah and unfortunately you know a lot of these conditions affect um ethnic minorities disproportionately i think it's postulated because we have these thrifty genes where we tend to hold on to calories and visceral fat um so it's quite difficult and you know the westernization of diets i think even in diabetes management there is a lot of focus on lowering carbohydrates which doesn't really lend itself to asian diets so it often feels to patients that they're doing something wrong and these keto diets are becoming more popular i remember my mom you know coming over and and I, i'm thinking oh god she's vegetarian i'm gonna have to eat dal today and like that dal was gonna you know cause some problems with me or something not realizing that actually these foods are medicinal and they're really good for you so there's a long way to go in terms of South Asian diets, but saying that there's so much, there's so much richness in the diets, you know, we suddenly armless become the superfood and, you know, my grandma used to buy them fresh from the Asian supermarket and me and her would like share it together. It was our guilty pleasure because everybody else would find them too sour, but we'd bite into them with a bit of salt. So Yep, that they I I I I have not yet learned um, to love Amla. <laughs> there's good and bad bits about the diet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I you said you watch my show, so you'll know that this question is pretty much asked to every guest. What do you eat in a day? What do I eat in a day? Yeah. Um so breakfast tends to be the same thing. It's either overnight oats or um cooked oats and fruit on the weekend it might be oat pancakes with fruit and yogurt a soya yogurt lunch tends to be if I'm at work it or even at home just leftovers from the night before really or I might make rice bowls with tempeh and vegetables or pasta with vegetables with a different sauce dinner usually is usually Indian thing like 
dal and I might put, you know, a tempeh in it or a stir fry or something like that. Lots of different things. Um, we like Mexican food. We like all sorts of cuisines. We're, we're real foodies at home. So my husband makes two dishes really well. So he'll make them once every two weeks or something, but the rest of the cooking's up to me. That's funny. Do you ever help your patients? I know you probably don't have time to teach them to cook, but are there any resources available to them so that they can learn to, to make this food? Um, so I tend to know a lot of the, you know, books, like the recipe books or resources off by heart, um, or I tend to give them resources based on the conditions they have. Um, so obviously there's always the Forks Over Knives uh, website. There's obviously your books, um, lots of resources out there. Um, I have my own website and I have lots of free recipes on there. It's quite time consuming to make videos. I do have a few videos and hope to do some more, but hopefully that kind of motivates patients to do it and show that you know I practice what I preach I, I love taking photos of food as well so yeah um, really enjoy that so I would say that you know I've I've even got resources a lot of the doctors you know the plant-based health professionals UK they will have websites with recipes or books so lots and lots of things I would love to do a cooking demo I'm not very tech savvy though I've just about can do a video on the stove so I don't know with the two camera thing but that's oh. one of my things to learn you know, two cameras are only because if you ever wanted to do it on my show, two cameras are required if nobody's there. But if you have an iPhone, then one camera is enough because the person holding it can be moving it like a camera. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Just so you know, but two. But if you're the only one there, it's it, 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 and you only have one camera, you're they're only going to see you know the one. Yeah, it's just my kitchen. I don't have an island in the middle, so I'd have to get a table. So I'll work it out. I learned how to use Instagram. So <laughs> nice. You said you're going to be interviewing somebody on Instagram that might be of interest to us. Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned, you know, how would patients get started on a plant based journey? So um, there's a gentleman called Ian Tavener who um, has, I think, chronic, uh, chronic pain syndrome. And he does lots of demonstrations for um, lots of charities. Um, he's appeared on daytime TV as well. Um, putting more plants in your diet, um, easy recipes that you can cook at home. And um, he uses a lot of equipment to help him. And actually, he got himself better. He says he didn't have any advice from any doctors, but, you know, would get frustrated with how you know, all the barriers to him cooking, being in pain, not having the right equipment. So he just wrote them all down. His wife said, look, think about what these barriers are and how can you overcome them one by one? So it's just amazing, you know, what he's done with this. So he's going to come on alive with me um, at the end of February um, to discuss some of those things and give some tips to me. Because I think I often, you know, take for granted how able I am in terms of making recipes you know I might use 50 ingredients or you know be on the stove for 50 minutes stirring that risotto but actually you know things do need to be simple you know most of the time yeah what are your children's favorite dishes other than the mac and cheese um green pasta so that's basically like pesto pasta um dal they always like dal they never get sick of it um they love mexican food as well um their palates 
interestingly, since going more plant-based, I think their palettes have become more diverse um, instead of sticking to the same things. And actually, when I compare to them, compare them to when their friends come round, I just realize how much more adventurous they are in terms of trying something. Um, so really proud of them. They actually like tofu now, which they didn't before. So I persisted with that. Nice. Do you have time to exercise and what do you do? And I imagine if somebody has chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, it's probably not really possible for them to exercise very easily. So we usually advise starting with gentle movement because obviously you do want to move because you don't want your joints to get stiff. Even, you know, even with the most severe symptoms, even fidgeting is something, you know, it does burn some energy. But, you know, gentle things like yoga, tai chi, qigong, I can't pronounce it properly, but um, those sort of gentle um, martial arts can help. And then building up slowly. I, th I think it's really important to get outside as well. You know, we are activated by light, by the outdoors. So, you know, instead of focusing on just being in the gym and using that as a punishment, you know, make sure that, you at least get five minutes outside, even if it's not a hot, it doesn't have to be a hot or sunny day. Um, and I feel that, you know, if people focus on their fuel, so they focus on mindset, they focus on nutrition, often that gives them the energy in the long run to be able to do more activity and they can build up to a greater level of activity, the weight bearing exercise, which we all need. Um, in order to keep our joints healthy, um, in order to prevent sarcopenia and osteoporosis. So, sorry, my voice is going. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I won't keep you much longer. Just a couple of questions. Do you personally have time to exercise? Yes, I do. So I resistance uh, train um, up to three times a week. Um I try and do that more and I really enjoy being outdoors so I do go on long walks but I enjoy cycling as well so I rent a bike from my local um, park so that gets me to walk there and then I cycle around and 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 walk back the weather's quite terrible at the moment so I know you say that there's nothing no such thing as bad weather just bad clothing oh, so I do try and go even when weather. it's raining <laughs> and actually actually the rain gets rid of the spiders so that's a bonus Oh boy, that's something. This has been such a wonderful uh, interview. If people want to see you, they would have to live in England. So I work privately as a health coach, but unfortunately I'm not insured to work in um, the USA and Canada, but I can um, consult remotely worldwide otherwise. But, you know, happy for people from USA and Canada to access my resources. As I say, I have lots of um, free recipes. I have information videos on my um, Instagram and Facebook. And I like to do a Mythbuster video every Monday um, to dispel lots of like common myths around plant-based diets or lifestyle medicine. Um, so I'm open to suggestions about, you know, what people want to learn about. Um, I think it's important to say that actually, you know, if you're suspecting you've got chronic fatigue syndrome, don't go without seeing a doctor, because as I mentioned, it's, it's a diagnosis of exclusion, we have to make sure there isn't anything else going on. So it's really, really important to go 
get seen. I'm not saying this is with every health professional, but often when you're given a diagnosis like that, it tends to be ex- it tends to be used to explain away every symptom. And that can be dangerous sometimes because you can miss something as important as heart disease, which you know can be treated early. So it's really important not to dismiss your symptoms or not think, oh, this is just that. Um, so that's what I would say, you know, and both don't need to be mutually exclusive. You can have medical care as well as lifestyle medicine as, as well as coaching. Yeah. And our is England catching up to the United States in terms of the disease and the chronic disease rate and obesity rate? It is. So that's another myth. And I think I'll cover that as well, because often uh, people use the excuse. And I think there was uh, one doctor I was just looking at the videos, looking at a study and going, well, you know, I don't think it's this the bacon that's causing the problems. I think overall Americans have worse diets than they do in the UK. And actually, we're known as the Las Vegas of Europe. So, you know, we are catching up um, in terms of chronic disease rate. So, you know, and actually lots of um, countries that had, you know, better lifestyles before are becoming more westernized and more affluent. So, you know, I think globally, um, everything's catching up and and is the same. Wow. Apart from the blue zones. Is Instagram the best place for people to connect with you? Yes. Yes. So I do most of my posting out of Instagram um, and my website as well is a good resource. So it's at uh, plant underscore uh, promoting doctor and uh, and underscore between uh, all three words. Thanks. And make sure you give me that in the written form. I'll place it right underneath the video in the show. I will do. Any last words of wisdom or hope you want to give to people that maybe that have fibromyalgia, chronic disease, or something to give them hope? So at the moment, there are patient stories that you can find um, in terms of people recovering uh, from chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Unfortunately, at the moment, because there's no randomized controlled trials, they will say that those are anecdote that is anecdotal evidence but you know all of these things and there's a common theme amongst people that have got better and that is that you know they have started off with individual therapies trying lots of you know vitamins and things but then coming to a realization of trying to get better having a positive mindset working on mental well-being in different ways as well as you know simplifying the diet not everybody is, you know, completely whole food plant based, but, you know, moving more towards that way. And, you know, living under basic principles of what what essentially is lifestyle medicine. So that's a commonality. Um, And, you know, some recovery is possible. But even if you know, we can't guarantee we can't guarantee with anybody that they will get 100% better, right? People with the best lifestyles can go on and have, you know, cancer, for example, but it's about hedging up um cards right so you know our health is not static every single condition can cause fatigue so it's about not adding to that and and making you more bulletproof um to be able to withstand um any more symptoms to have a better quality of life basically well thank you so much that's okay thank you very much
And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific time for plant-based cardiologist, Dr. Baxter Montgomery, who will be discussing how removing meds can actually help the patient. Thanks for watching everyone. Take care.